Good morning, everybody. I hope everybody's doing well today. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. My name is Travis Shaddix. If you're new to the channel, this channel explores the, the question, how do we know what we know about turfgrass science? It's a beautiful December morning here in Lexington, Kentucky. December 19th, 2023, we had our first snowfall yesterday. It was a rather um, aggressive, almost violent snowstorm for about two or three hours yesterday. Most of it already melted, but there's still some snow out there this morning. Just a dusting, really. But man, it came through and just blew all over creation yesterday. <clears throat> rather, rather strong winds. Gonna have a good day today. We have an article we're gonna talk about growth of grass following iron. A lot of people think that doesn't happen, but it does. We're also gonna talk about ironite. We're gonna go over a label today. I started reading the label and or I started I've I, I the um the bag. I started going through the bag, you know, propaganda stuff. And I started laughing, so I just stopped reading it because I thought, well, maybe I should just do this on the show. <laughs> it might be more funny just to see my my first reaction to hearing or to seeing some of the content on on that particular product. So we're going to go over that today. I guess it's a pretty popular product. I've never seen it used on golf or sport turf, but apparently it's a big product in lawn care. So we're going to go over that today. Good morning, Looney. Gray. I appreciate all the comments, Gray, the positive comments on my videos. I try to reply back, but I know I have, I've missed the last two or three of your comments when you, when you say something complimentary of my videos, but I do read them. Rich, good morning. Yeah, I saw on the news that uh, Massachusetts got some pretty bad power outages and trees down. I don't know where everybody is, but I know there's a few people up in the Northeast, so I hope everybody's staying warm, doing well. Brady 419, good morning. Eric from Columbus and Lush, good morning. Got a good crowd this morning. Welcome. It's a bad time of the year to go out go without power or gas. Hopefully everybody has heat, but anywho, let's uh let's get into it today. Uh to, oh, before I get started, actually, tomorrow's not tomorrow night's show is gonna be different. It may be a disaster. <laughs> I don't know. But what I'm going to try to do tomorrow night is, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over some comments and, and just read through some comments here and there that have been in the videos and some emails here and there. I think it might be informational and educational to people, I suppose. And I'm going to try, although I'm not going to promise, I'm going to try to have a phone number available tomorrow night at 9 p.m. for the show tomorrow night. I, I, I'm i going to work on it today to see if I can actually have a phone number available for anybody that might like to call in and ask a question or just have a chit chat with me tomorrow night. We are going to go over an article tomorrow night, so it's only going to be for like the first 30 or 40 minutes of the show that that'll be available. And then after that, I think what I'll do is I'll go over to our, onto my normal scientific article. I only have four articles left on iron for right now. And I'm after tomorrow night, I'm only going to be doing Wednesday night shows throughout the Christmas holiday. 
So it'll go into January, I think, if, for Iron. There'll only be three or four more episodes of Iron. Unless something comes across my radar, that's particularly interesting. So try if you if you're interested in participating in the show, you know, through phone calls, I'm going to try to do that tomorrow night, but I'm, I'm not going to make any promises. I, <laughs> I'm not that confident when it comes to computers. So, but I think I found a way to do it. I just got to test it today and tomorrow to see, see if it's going to work tomorrow. So that's the schedule. And then I'm off, you know, tomorrow's the last show for this week. There won't be a Thursday show. Let's get into today. As I have been a victim of uh, the YouTube, whatever you want to call it, algorithms. I guess I guess because I'm making videos on these contents, I don't know, but I keep getting this stuff pop up on my YouTube channel stuff, um, my recommended stuff, my recommended watch list. And a lot of the videos contain this product called Ironite. So I pulled it up this morning and I was just reading through it. And like I said, I just found it funny. So I thought I would read through it today and then I'll explain to you my, I'll give you my take on Ironite. How about that? So here's my take on Ironite. The, uh, this is like a, a PDF of the, the bag itself, the front of the bag, and then I'll show you the back of the bag, which is the funny part, actually. And for the service, so for those of you who may not be familiar with Ironite, it has a very catchy name, and it's usually found in the big box stores. You might be able to even get it on Amazon for all I know. And I know it comes in a liquid as well. This is the granular product, Ironite granular, it's mineral sub supplement. From the makers of Pennington. Pennington's a pretty um, valuable brand in turfgrass, the turfgrass industry. This particular product um, is an is an exemption to that value. <laughs> We're going to find out why here in a few minutes. So that the tag says a deeper green lawn without excessive growth, and that's probably true. And then it says water less retains more water in the soil. I've never seen that on an iron product before. So that kind of caught my attention. I'm like, well, what, what in the world? It must have something else in there. Initially, my red, the red flag started going off in my head thinking they probably have, you know, a gypsum or something in this product or who knows what, or maybe an organic component or something. Cause it says water retains more water and there's nothing about iron. That's really going to do that. Well, at least in any meaningful sense anyway. And then it says contains more iron for deeper green. So the, the irony in iron is that the lower analysis iron raw materials are the raw materials that you would want to consider for granular applications, not the higher analysis materials. So when it says contains more iron, they're just appealing to the masses because I, I think they consider the masses to be ignorant and they'll buy it because they, it says more iron. So it must be more green. But in reality, it's the lower analysis iron products. And the reason for that is the higher analysis iron raw materials like iron sucrate, iron oxide. The reason they're high is because they've already been oxidized and there's a greater concentration of iron in that mineral iron, iron oxide. 
And th- but those are unavailable when they're oxide. They've already been oxidized and there's no more soluble iron in those raw materials. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, scientifically speaking, there's probably some value, some amount of soluble iron, but pragmatically, there's no soluble iron in those oxide, uh, oxided forms of iron. So when you get to the lower analysis products like EDTA and DTPA and EDDHA, these chelated iron sources, the reason they're lower analysis is because they've added in a chelating agent that it takes up a large portion of the molecule. And that, that protects that large chelated uh, structure, protects the iron in it. And even though it's a very low analysis, that source of iron would be the one that you want to consider if you're going to put out a granular. I wouldn't put out any granular iron ever. I wouldn't do that in my own lawn. I've never done it in my own lawn. I would never, I never would consider doing it. It would take a, a ridiculous amount of evidence to convince me that there's any value to applying granular iron compared to foliar iron. It would take a tremendous amount. In fact, I showed you a, a, an article yesterday that actually showed a response to granular iron. And that was an extremely unique paper, an extremely unique response to an extremely unique turf grass deficiency. So it was, it was a very specific case, which generally won't occur in the majority of cases. So it can't occur, but for the majority of cases, 99% or more of the cases, you're never going to see that happen. So I would never do it, but when they put on contains more iron for deeper green, I think that they just believe that the, the masses will believe it. And they'll buy it because it's on the tag. They didn't, they didn't put it on the bag because they thought it wouldn't sell fertilizer better. They put it on there because they thought it would. So, but it won't. I mean, it won't turn, it might sell more fertilizer, but it's not going to have a deeper green grass from the source of iron in this product. And I'm going to explain why that is. So if we go to the back of the bag, we got to figure out what's in it. This is a 101. I know ironite comes in other formulas like 100s, and there's obviously liquid ironite uh, solutions and products. But we have to know what's in this bag before we can really have any confidence in, in an opinion about it. So when we go to find out what's in the bag, we have to read the label. And I'm going to try to zoom in for the people watching on YouTube. To read this because I, th- I thought it was funny. <laughs> I'm weird. You know, whenever I was younger, I, I'd sit out in my grandfather's uh, shop and he would have fertilizer bags out there and I would read the back of these fertilizer labels, you know, and figure out like what's, what is ammonium nitrate and what is isobutylidine diarrhea and all these things. And I just was fascinated by the various tags. And so I still do it even today, but I'm going to read the back of this bag the English version, the back of this bag. So we all understand exactly what we're talking about. I think I can actually zoom in a little bit more. Yeah, there we go. So it says the makers of Pennington products bring you ironite mineral supplement 101, a unique concentration formula that provides a deeper green or a deep green lawn without the excessive growth that some nitrogen rich fertilizers can cause a unique concentration formula. We're going to come back to that. I don't know what's unique about this particular product. You can buy this product for probably any these raw materials in this blend from basically any blender on earth, at least in the United States. While nitrogen causes greening and growth, iron provides greening without the growth surge, which is probably true. We're going to show some, you know, difference today on that, but for the most part, it's not going to 
result in a growth surge. So if you want to spend more time enjoying your lush green lawn and less time mowing it, apply this premium iron formula any time of the year to any type of grass. To deliver results that truly exceed your expectations, we have an enhanced this product with advanced soil technology, trademark, AST. That's what starts getting me. When you start saying stuff like that, I just get a I mean, I could, I could eat this up. I could read this stuff all day long. I, I love reading propaganda stuff like this. It just... It just makes my day. So what is AST, Advanced Soil Technology? Ironite Mineral Supplement 101 contains advanced soil technology, which provides two key benefits. First, when I, re- when I was reading this the first time, I thought it would say unlock something. You know, that's what I thought it would say, because usually that's what a, these, these uh, you know, uneducated, you know, uh, managers and product managers will will say the whole let's just say it's going to unlock nutrients that's what i thought it would say but it doesn't say that it says first it improves the physical characteristics of the soil for maximum performance so right there immediately i know this is complete nonsense because there's no chemical that's going to just going to consistently improve the physical characteristics of your soil unless your soil is under a very specific situation Okay. And I'm thinking, and now, now I'm almost hundred percent convinced that they're talking about gypsum. So when they say, whenever someone says they're going to apply this product to improve the physical characteristics they're they've been indoctrinated. They don't understand the soil systems very well. And they're selling, they're, they're saying this simply to sell the product. They don't care whether it's true or not. If it's true, great. It helps them. Great. But if it's not true, it's, what do they care? It's going to, if it's going to sell product, right? So the second benefit, it can help improve water penetration and reduce soil loss. So now I know they're talking about gypsum and I'm going to get into gypsum when we talk about more about soils and soil testing. Gypsum is another product that is unbelievably oversold. Okay. It's it, this, the concept that will improve physical properties is a miss is a, is a connection between what we've seen in laboratory studies where you see the aggregation of clay particles in the presence of gypsum whenever there's a lot of sodium compared to when there's no gypsum but a lot of sodium you see that in the lab in a, in a container uh, but when you go out into the field and actually apply gypsum you have to in order for it to have an impact impact on physical characteristics you actually have to have a soil that is that has been degraded or dispersed as a result of sodium. So in other words, the, the structure of the soil has been broken down or eroded in, in the soil as a result of excessive gypsum. It's a sodic soil. So basically for the entire state of Florida, that's never going to happen because sodium will just go right through that sand soil. In fact, there's been studies down in South Florida where they applied sodium nitrate over over and over and over to build the sodium levels up and they never had any problems with the turf from sodium nitrate because it's all sand and the sand would just you know allows that sodium to go right through there's not the clays necessary in the soil to be dispersed okay so i'll get into all that at some point but gypsum has basically no value outside of the the application or the ability to to uh, provide sulfate and sulfate deficient soils and the ability to remediate sodic soils. Th- those two are 
or the value to gypsum. And when I see this improved soil physical characteristics, um, I know this person is just talking nonsense and they're probably talking about gypsum. So <laughs> like I said, I could eat this stuff up all day long. Benefits of ironite mineral supplement 101 contains more iron for a deeper green is number one. So more iron does not equal deeper, deeper green, which I've shown you a couple times already, but I'm going to drive that message home in the, in the last three papers of this series, which are my papers. A deeper green lawn without excessive growth, it probably will not provide a deeper green lawn. And I'm going to show you why that is. Non-burning and non-staining. That much I can guarantee you. That's, that is true. Non, this product is non-burning and non-staining. That is definitely, let me change this to green because that is definitely true on this product. This much is true. It will not burn and it will not stain because the source of iron in this product has already been oxidized. You can put out a ton of that, of the iron in this product on your driveway and let it sit there for 10 years and it's not going to stain that driveway. Okay. Children and pets may re-enter the area after application area. Well, that, that's fine too. Okay. So they get two green check marks on their benefits. We're going to see why this, this benefit here, the non-burning and non-staining is not actually a benefit. Non-burning and no staining guaranteed ironite minerals contains a special kind of iron. This iron is special. It's totally different than all the other forms of iron that you've ever come across because this is special, special iron. Well, it will not burn or stain when used as directed. We're so confident you'll love the results of using this product that it comes with a Pennington satisfaction guarantee. I hope after people watch this video that I'm making right now, that people use that satisfaction guarantee. Let's see what it is actually down here. Does it have a, does it, it has a little asterisk by it. Does it explain what it is? Okay. Pennington satisfaction guaranteed. If after following the instructions, you are not satisfied with the product results, Send your name, address, and original date, or oh, an original dated receipt to the Pennington refund. So I would highly consider people, I recommend people to use this <laughs> because you're not going to see a greening from the, from the iron in this product. You might from the nitrogen, but I'm very, very convinced that the iron in this product is going to do very little. I'm, a, I'm going to do what I can here to explain why I'm convinced of that. It has the directions for use goes through and tells you what to apply apply as needed every 30 to 60 days throughout the growing season uh, i don't know oh here's the rates rates are three pounds per thousand square feet yeah so yeah so three pounds per thousand square feet i don't know why they'd have a different spread rate from a different spreader 3.25 but whatever uh it says these settings are a guide to determine landscape professionals using da -da -da. okay uh just talks about spreading it says it can be used on a wide variety. It really, you know, goes through just a whatever typical stuff you'd ever come across. <clears throat> okay. Note ironite mineral supplement 101 is intended as a supplement to regular fertilization program and may not by itself provide all the nutrients normally required by crops and other intended plants. So the reason I'm saying that on this one <clears throat> is because they're banking on what's referred to as confirmation bias in the human mind. If you're, if you're already applying fertilizer and you already have a fairly decent lawn, which is what they're telling you to do is intended as a supplement to regular fertilization program. 
It's not intended to be a regular fertilization program. It's intended to supplement one. So if you already have a regular fertilization program that contains nitrogen and whatever element, other element you might find that you need, then when you apply this product, in addition to your normal program, you can be convinced that the, this product is actually resulting in whatever marketing, you know, propaganda they're saying. That's confirmation bias. In other words, you're expecting to see a result from applying this product. So the mind can convince you that you did see it. When in reality, when you're under a normal a normal fertilization program, the chances of you seeing uh, or measuring, I should say, measuring an actual response to this product is very, very low. Okay. So don't, don't overlook confirmation bias. I've been, everybody, we're human and everybody's been guilty of it. I can give you a very clear example where I used it as uh, I, I used <laughs> confirmation bias to see if my friend in South Florida would be honest with me. And he wasn't honest with me because he was selling fertilizer to me at the time. This is going back to 2005. I think it was anyway. Um, but you can, you can be convinced. It's like, well, I think I see something. It's because you're wanting to see it. You're, you're not necessarily cognizant of it, but you, you're wanting to see a response and your mind can convince you that you did see one. And when you're under a normal fertilization program, you can see the grass green. Oh, the grass looks green and I applied this product. So keep in mind, that's what they're expect. They're expecting you to apply this with a regular fertilization program. If you didn't have a regular fertilization program and it was, it was um, say, unacceptable turf grass and you applied this product, the chances of seeing response are extremely low but it does have nitrogen in it. So if you applied it at a high enough rate to um, apply sufficient amount of nitrogen, say a quarter pound in to a third pound in from the nitrogen in this, which would be, oh, where's my calculator? It would be, <clears throat> um, hang on a second, let me get there. Point, point two five. You'd have to apply to 250 pounds. Oh my God. Cause it's one point, it's one, it's 1% 1 iron. So you'd have to apply a thousand pounds if you wanted to apply one pound in obviously. So you'd have to apply 250 pounds of this per thousand square feet if you wanted to apply a quarter pound in. So if you did that, you would probably see a response because it's from the nitrogen. But if, if, the, if the grass is unacceptable and you apply this product, it's very likely you won't see anything happen. At, at their at their labeled rates, which is three pounds, which at three pounds, you're applying. I mean, you're applying basically no nitrogen, very little. Okay, so keep that in mind. Don't be, uh, be keep in mind that no matter how intelligent or knowledgeable or smart you are, you can be fooled by confirmation bias. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. Everybody can be fooled by it. But if you're aware that it's a regular occurrence, then perhaps you can use that to protect yourself from losing money, spending money on products that, that, uh, that you don't need by, by being convinced. Oh, did I see something? Just remember, am I being convinced due to confirmation bias or is there a way I can apply this product that I can remove my mind, remove my bias from the situation? And that's the scientific method or at least bare minimum controlling something, putting out a non-treated control and then have your product uh, next to it or some minimum level of control that it does not include the, uh, the human bias. Uh, let's see. 
Yeah, okay, here it is. So when a, when used as directed, this ironite mineral supplement pro- provides 0.03 pounds of nitrogen. So basically no nitrogen. Okay, so let's look at the guaranteed analysis of ironite. So the nitrogen is from urea. Uh, half of it is from polymer-coated urea, which God knows why they would slow release half of 1%, but that's what they say they did. Contains 0.5% slow release nitrogen as polymer-coated urea. Again, I think that they're just doing that to convince people that it's slow release, half slow release in, and they, it might be useful to them. And the other half is just straight urea. Then they have some 1% potassium. And now here's the calcium, 8% calcium, 5% sulfur. So this is where I'm thinking there's calcium sulfate in here. And the iron is 20%. So I can just say this, there's no way to get iron in a bag. I don't even have to look at the derived from statement. There's no way to get iron in a granular fertilizer that contains all these other components, nitrogen, potassium, calcium, sulfur, and have the iron be 20% without using iron oxide. Can't do it. Or iron sucrate, which is iron oxide. You cannot put iron in at that percentage without iron oxide. So I know immediately, without even looking at the derived from statement, at minimum, there's going to be a large component of iron oxide in this fertilizer. There may also be other forms of iron, but there's at least a lot of it from iron oxide. Because iron sulfate is 20% iron, that which is the next soluble, which is the soluble form of iron. And this is 20% iron. Well, you can't have 20% iron from iron sulfate and, and at the same time put more stuff in the ton because you'd be diluting the 20% down to whatever it would be, 5% or 4% or whatever it would be. Okay. And when you look down here, it says urea, polymer coated urea, KCL, myriad of potash, and iron oxide, ferric oxide. So all the iron in here is from iron oxide, rust. Okay. Now I don't know if they have other material, other fertilizers. This brand ironite is just a brand. They may have other fertilizers branded as ironite that have different forms of iron in there. I don't know. Um, but on this particular tag, it says iron oxide. And here it is. Here's our good friend, Mr. Gypsum calcium sulfate. Okay. That's where this, this claim comes from up here, where it says AST advanced soil technology. <laughs> so the advanced soil technology, which is this gold, if you're those listening, it's a gold oval AST with a black embossed AST, uh, the golden embossed AST on a black oval stamped and it's shining gold. It's just gypsum, which is useless if the soil is sufficient with sulfur or it is not a sodic soil. It's not going to provide any benefit unless you have a sodic soil or unless you're sulfur deficient, sulfate deficient. Okay. But that's the advanced soil technology. So, I mean, this is one, re- I don't know. I'm not going to get into the whole thing with whatever, but it's just, it's, it's difficult for me. I'll go into my, more of my mental health with during mental health awareness month, which I think is either April or May. I'm going to go into that in more detail, but I've always struggled working for companies that I know are not being honest and are, I know are being deceptive or I'm con- I should say are convinced that I'm convinced they're being deceptive. I'm not saying the Pennington's doing that, but what I'm saying is, is that AST advanced soil technology being gypsum. I mean, come on guys. I mean, that's, that's gold. You, you, you I mean, I, I've, I've never seen a, a better marketing ploy for gypsum than this AST advanced soil technology. <laughs> That's great. 
just to sell gypsum, just to sell a, basically an inert product in the blend that will do basically nothing for the great majority of, of consumers. So that's, that's why I laugh so hard about this label. It was fantastic. Uh, it just, I, I can't get enough of this stuff. So that's it. That's, that's the iron eye. So now why am I saying, uh, let me go down. So why am I saying, or why am I convinced I should say that a ferric oxide or iron oxide is of no value? Okay. So let me go to the internet here or to, to this thing I did yesterday. This, oh, oops, that's not it. I want to do this one. So this is a slide from the PowerPoint I did on a couple days ago. And in this laboratory setting, this was at the University of Florida. This is in the fertility lab there on, in, in McCarty Hall. I wanted to know how much of this of the raw the iron in raw materials was soluble from the get-go. Forget the soil and oxidation and all that stuff that's going to happen at some point later. How much is soluble from the beginning from the raw material that just you can hold in your hand? How much of that product contains iron that is soluble? And what we're looking at here for those who didn't see the previous broadcast <clears throat> these are, we're looking at a, a, a laboratory bench that contains a number of Erlenmeyer flasks, and we have some black styrofoam uh, wrapping around some glass columns. Okay, inside these columns is a, uh, think of, you can think of like a black powder shotgun where you're putting in, you're packing in black powder, and then you pack in the, the, the slug, or you pack in, you know, uh, whatever you're shooting. Well, in this column, we're packing in the, uh, various filters basically to hold it. And then we pack in the actual product that we wanted to try to, we're going to extract whatever we're extracting from it. And these are the columns used for slow release nitrogen analysis, but you can also do it for whatever you want to put in there. So we packed in the various iron sources in these columns and we did iron chelate, iron sulfate, iron humate, iron sucrate, and iron oxide in this particular study. Okay. And when they're packed into these columns, there's a tube that goes in the top of these columns that push or it pumps uh, warm or hot citric acid. A, a weak citric acid solution is pumped through the from the top of this column down to the bottom, and it's collected into the into the Erlenmeyer flasks. Okay, and this solution that's being pumped is being heated by this this instrument here that's sitting on the lab bench which is a, a warming bath, a warming oven, or what do you want to call it? The citric acid solution is constantly being pumped and warmed through this bath. Okay. So makes a long, long winded way of saying I'm extracting whatever irons in these solutions with hot acid. Okay. And these stay on these columns for several days. I think it was seven days. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's a very, several days where we're constantly basically, um, extracting or, or stripping off any anything that's on these fertilizer particles that is soluble will be solubilized with this hot acid and collected in the Erlenmeyer flasks. So that's the process. So when we do that for these various iron products, we find that the percent of iron that was extracted from iron chelate was 100%. So we put in 
one gram of iron and iron chelate, and we got one gram back. For iron sulfate, we put in one gram of iron, we got one gram back. Let's just use 100. 100 grams in, and I got 100 grams back. So all the chelates and the sulfate were 100% soluble using that methodology. The iron humate, which is the river water extractant, only had about 38, 37% soluble iron in it from the beginning. The iron sucrate had about 4 to 5% soluble iron. 95% of iron sucrate was insoluble. Remember, it's iron oxide. The oxide was 99.5% insoluble in hot acid. So there was 0.4 or 0.5% of the iron that was in the column was extracted as soluble iron after several days in a hot acid solution. Okay. So there's no reason to believe that a turf grass is going to respond to this. Now, we're not even going to the soil oxidation process yet. Okay. We haven't even got to that part yet. Okay. We're talking about the raw material in the fertilizer, which is oxide, ferric oxide, which is what was in the iron ironite product. So before we even get to the soil, we know 99.5% of the, ox the iron in iron oxide is unavailable for any plant use. From the beginning. Okay. So that's why <laughs> the, the, the products that contain iron oxide are not going to result in a greening from the iron in the iron oxide. It's not going to happen. Okay. It, it's, it's just not going to happen. We're not going to get much greening at all from the sulfate. And it's 100% soluble. Okay. I'm going to show you. Uh, an article here in, in like I said uh, a week or two from now on a Wednesday night where I used iron sulfate in all the studies and never saw a response to granular iron sulfate. And it's 100% soluble in the lab. So you sure as hell ain't going to see a response to iron oxide that's 99% insoluble in the lab. Okay. So I wanted to kind of go over that, that product, uh, ironite. Because I didn't realize it, I, well, maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm under the impression that's a very common, very popular product used to green the lawn without growth or whatever. And there's no good reason to believe that it will. Okay. I'm not saying it won't, but I'm saying there, I'm not convinced by any stretch of the imagination that you're going to see a greening from the application of any product that contains hundred percent of its iron as iron oxide from the iron. If anything, you would see a response from the other components, like if it had contained nitrogen or maybe phosphorus or something like that, you might see a greening response from those components, but not from iron from iron oxide. Okay. So that is my take on ironite. Before we get to the article for today, I'm going to, uh, read, let me read the chat and see if there's any interesting things yet before I go into the article. <clears throat> oh, okay. So modern scholar, you got, okay. You caught that. So you got, you answered your own question there. <clears throat> so modern scholar says, <clears throat> excuse me. Chelation is about the best way to uptake micro metals iron, magnesium, etc. Modern Scholar, I don't know if you've been on here before. It does, you do, you, that name does sound familiar. 
your statement is <clears throat> is true, but I'm going to go into a little bit more explanation in detail as to why in a practical setting the application of micronutrients to the soil in the form of a chelate are generally not useful in general. I know the chelated iron and so forth maintains solubility at certain pHs and so forth. <clears throat> but the paper, th uh, after today, the third paper, so the very last paper we're going to go over, well, I'm going to show exactly what happens to the solubility of iron from all these chelates in a, in a variety of different soils at various soil pHs. And from that last paper, you might have a different take on, um, you might have a different opinion as to whether or not there's any real value to granular chelated iron. Okay. Again, I'm not saying you won't see a response. I'm just saying it, you're, you're almost never going to see a response if it's not chelated. So what I'm saying is your, your comment is mo mostly true. If you're going to do it as a granular, you've, you've got to use a chelate. There's no, really no other option. Uh, but even under that scenario, it's a very expensive option to do when you can result in a similar response or maybe actually not even similar, a better response by applying it as a liquid and you don't, if you do that, you don't have to have it chelated. So we'll go through that. So Valerio Merli from Italy, if I remember, has a question. What's the role of the binding agents? For example, can humate binding make more available micronutrients, especially in high pH soil? That is a very complicated question. I don't know if you realize the complexity of that question, but I will attempt to answer it. Before I even start, I'm gonna let you know that I do not consider myself an iron expert in turfgrass science or soil science, okay? It is immensely complex. The, the redox reactions with iron in the soil are complex to an extent it's almost unfathomable. However, I'll answer a more of a, I'll try to do my best to answer that question more pragmatically. The answer to your question is, can humate binding make more make the elements more available, especially high pH soil? The answer is yes, they can. Okay. The availability of iron is dictated by the solid phase of iron in the soil solution, but that's influenced by organic lignin, ligands. Okay. So the stoichiometric, stoichiometric, whatever the word is, that we see in textbooks, in other words, the chemistry of the iron with at different pHs and different uh, oxidation states in the lab, we know the the react the chemical reactions and what should take place and you know what should remain soluble and not soluble at various pHs and, and redox potentials. But when you go into the field, you're dealing with a lot of organic ligands that change that. You're dealing with dissolved oxygen that changes that. So the presence of organic materials like humic acids, like, uh, you know, you mentioned um, humates and so forth. The presence of those in the soil, 
what occurs is the iron will use or the the humates will use iron to oxidize the 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 humates the it's comp it's very complicated but in the presence of organic material the iron can become more soluble because it's oxidizing some of the organic material and in turn reducing the form of iron it's going from fe2 to i'm sorry fe3 to fe2 as a result of the oxidation of organic ligands in the soil even in the presence of oxygen so when there's oxygen when there's dissolved oxygen in the soil and there's organic ligands in the soil the dissolved oxygen will bind with iron preferentially it will oxidize with iron first but it will still be reduced in the presence of organic ligands as well it's immensely complex that changes at each ph but the short answer to your question is the presence of organic ligands will reduce the fe3 to fe2 and in turn result in a greater portion of the iron and soil solution being soluble than when the organic ligands are not there okay that's my that's about as far as i'm comfortable going with it because it i can't i just can't express it enough it is unbelievably complex okay most of the iron will become insoluble as i'm going to show you in the third or fourth paper from now even in soils with large amounts of organic matter even in soils that have little organic matter all these things hot low ph soils it'll still be oxidized pretty quickly within a day or two but strictly speaking the answer to your question is yes ligands and organic bindings with organic materials will render the iron more soluble as a result of its ability to reduce the iron from the oxidation of the ligand it's complicated okay and i may be wrong on i mean I, I i i know the concept is correct but my explanation might not be exactly accurate so if i'm incorrect and there's a soil scientist who deals with iron and is listening to this and going this guy's crazy we'll post it in the comments and i'll pin it because i don't want to be wrong about it but that's my basic fundamental understanding of the system okay I don't think you intended that question to be as complicated as it was, but that's <laughs> that's the answer. Very, very good question. <clears throat> yeah, blip, blop, ride. I can. I have not heard that 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 uh, handle before, so it's an interesting handle. Thank you for joining us today. If you haven't been here before, iron oxide, new marketing term, slow release, very slow release. Yeah, it's very slow. That is for sure. It is very slow it is not going to be available anytime in, in our lifetime for the most part after you've applied it you can forget about it modern scholar um says applying just micros to a lawn is almost never completely necessary golf course greens on the other hand because of the high stress needs to be a part of scheduled maintenance yeah micronutrient packages and so forth applied to golf greens you kind of got to take golf greens out of the whole discussion on normal management practices because it's not a normal situation we're dealing with a root zone that is in designed to resist compaction and to maintain water movement it's not necessarily designed for maximum nutrient availability in fact it's not designed for that at all so in some cases you can see a result from applying micronutrients to golf greens 
but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's the case in all cases. I don't think anybody would, but you got to be real careful with that because you can fall victim to the composition division fallacy. In other words, you can apply a, a micronutrient package that contains all these micronutrients and you say it worked when in reality it was just the iron or it was just the manganese in there. So you're assuming the entire product is working when in reality it was just a single product, a single component within that product. So, you know, I don't think superintendents are at a, their budget is restricted so much to the point where they'd go, well, I want to know exactly what's in those micronutrients. I'm just going to apply that one. So instead they just apply everything. Okay. It's, a, it's I think it's a not, not the most efficient way, but it would take a little bit of effort and a little bit of work to determine what exactly is resulting in that response to just apply that product. So instead of doing that, I think they just apply a big, you know, it's a shotgun approach to micronutrient um, uh, alleviation of deficiencies. <clears throat> Looney says, if you're regularly fertilizing, but your lawn is not as green as the neighbors and you think it's an iron issue, you can, how can you identify iron chlorosis if you have high pH calcareous soils? Well, then the next one, could applying elemental sulfur be more beneficial than applying an iron product? Okay. So Looney, I don't know if you saw the, I think it was the video I released yesterday morning about the relationship between um, soil pH and soil iron or, or soil pH and plant iron or soil pH and plant chloros, chlorophyll. And there, that particular study on that, I'm just going to say that paper showed there was no relationship between soil pH and soluble iron and so or soil pH and plant iron or soil pH and chlorophyll. I think it was the Hort science or the, yeah, Hort, I can't remember what paper it was. It was from yesterday's article or, or yesterday's video. So this concept about lowering your pH to alleviate iron deficiency is not strongly supported by the evidence. Okay. I wouldn't want to have a pH in the nines and tens of my turf looked horrible. You know, I wouldn't want that. But if your pH is in the sevens and eights and your turf looks fine, I wouldn't worry about it. If your pH is in the sevens or eights and you think you have an iron deficiency, lowering the pH is probably not going to do much. I know people think that's the case, but the evidence just doesn't support it fully. Okay. You can try to lower the pH, you know, possibly futilely you can try to, but you know, there's just not a lot of evidence that you can say that says you should, if you lower this pH in an iron deficient calcareous soil, it will alleviate the iron deficiency once it hits six or five or whatever. Okay. And that paper yesterday clearly showed that there was really wasn't any relationship. And I think the pH of that soil was 7.5. I have to go back and look. 7.5 or 7.8, something like that, of that soil. And there wasn't any relationship between the pH and the plant iron. So I wouldn't be throwing a lot of resources at lowering the pH if your intent is to increase the iron solubility because the iron's still going to be insoluble. In fact, I'm going to show a paper at the end that shows even at 5.1, 5.3, iron sulfate becomes, the iron in iron sulfate becomes completely insoluble after 24 hours even at 5.1. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. But how can you identify it? 
and so the question is how can you identify iron chlorosis if you have high ph calcareous soils well what i would do there's a there's a technical or plant physiological way you can do that by looking at which leaf is actually chlorotic you have to actually go down in the, the plant and start pulling out the the, the stolons or the rhizomes and pull it back to see which leaf is actually chlorotic if it's the newly emerging leaf or it's the older leaf you can do it a little bit that way but i would just do it a much more simple way i would just pick out an area of the lawn this is what i used to do i used to have little one gallon containers that i have like phosphorus already mixed up iron already mixed up potassium already mixed up and i knew the the rate in that one gallon container that i could spray over say two square meter plots and i would just go out and i would just spray the area that i felt, thought might be deficient or you know, you know the superintendent might thought it might be deficient and i would just spray that two meters with that particular solution of just phosphorus or just iron okay because i knew that the amount that i put out over that two two square meters would be the amount that would probably induce a, a response if it was deficient so that's the way i would do it because you would be circumventing the soil you'd apply it to the leaf surface and you'd see a response within a day or two or you wouldn't and that would give you an idea as to whether or not you're actually deficient in iron or not so that's more of the pragmatic approach to nutrient um, nutrient deficiency identification that you're not going to really have much from any other element besides phosphorus i've never seen a deficiency in potassium or a response to potassium so but i still kept it just because people think there's potassium deficient or they think applying potassium is going to suddenly respond the turf suddenly going to respond so i kept it available but p k and iron and manganese those four i kept a one gallon jug but i i diluted it i mean i i put the material in the solution knowing the solution concentration of what i wanted to apply to two square meters so that's a quick and easy way more of a pragmatic approach to nutrient deficiency identification so that's what i would do that's what i do 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 all right we're almost an hour in and i haven't even started the article yet so let's get to it good questions the article for the day is called growth quality and foliar iron concentrations from kentucky bluegrass treated with chelated iron sources now this particular article is by cooper and spokus Spokas, i don't know how to say that from the university of massachusetts they published this in the journal of american society of horticultural science in 1991 so this is a free paper you can go download so for those 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 of you in the east coast particularly massachusetts <laughs> if your trees are down and your power's out and you're wondering what to do this this article is in your wheel wagon this is in your area let's get through it color is one of the most important characteristics that contribute to visual turfgrass quality turfgrass managers often rely primarily upon nitrogen to develop dark green turfgrass Excessive infertility, however, increases mowing costs and susceptibility to certain environmental stresses and diseases and may adversely affect rooting. A well-planned iron fertility program can improve color while reducing the potential negative effects associated with excessive in applications. I want to make sure that he's talking about excessive in applications. You know, regular in applications aren't really going to provide a whole lot of negative consequences if you're doing it under BMP uh, guidelines. But if you're doing anything excessively, then you could have a problem. Let me back that out just a little bit here. Can I do that? <clears throat> no, okay. All right. While the benefits to turf grass from iron fertilization are generally accepted, 
Little is known concerning the relative merits of varying iron sources. Supplemental iron fertilizations of turf has, have historically consisted primarily of foliar applications of sources containing iron or sulfate or iron DTPA. Within the past few years, however, iron-containing products for turf that use citrate-based chelating agents and contain elements including manganese, phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur have become available. This was in 91. Looking at citrate, the purpose of this work was to evaluate four commonly used iron sources of, of, of chelated iron having varied chelating agents and nutrient compositions. Characteristics studied include turf grass growth and quality in response to iron sources and application rates. Iron source effects on iron uptake efficiency and the influence of supplemental P and K. So I wish they would have used like a base standard product like iron sulfate, but this particular study, they just looked, they're looking at chelates, the DTPA and the citrate chelates. This study was conducted on three-year-old, a blend of touchdown and barren Kentucky bluegrass growing on a Hadley silt loam da -da, at the University of Massachusetts Turfgrass Research Center in South Deerfield. I don't know where that is, but you guys in Massachusetts too. Analysis of the soil was a pH of a 6.2. The potato, this, the, they did a, this was a Morgan extract. The phosphorus was a 25. The potassium was 140 parts per million and the iron was 2.2. They, they labeled phosphorus and potassium as high. The chelating irons, that'll be kind of, kind of available and important because one of the chelates contains phosphorus and potassium in this study. The chelating iron sources were applied at rates of 1.53 and 6 kilograms per hectare. So this is going to be like 1.5. Four, 1.3 pounds, uh, 2.8 pounds, and 5.5 pounds of iron per acre. So if you've heard us say one to five pounds per acre, these these rates are all within that one to five pound per acre range of iron. They were applied in May, July, September of 86, and May, July, and September of 87. And they're applied with CO2 backpack sprayer. So they're all, all applied as a, as a liquid. Supplemental fertilization was minimal with urea. They, they applied urea to half a pound of N in late May each year, and that's all they applied. So they weren't applying a lot of N. They were keeping it pretty lean, and the, none of the iron sources contained nitrogen. The growth They measured growth rate. Clippings were harvested every two weeks, and or, uh, harvested two weeks and seven days after treatments during both years to assess the iron effect of the plant vigor. So they're going to look at growth rate. Now, the title of this is Iron Can Influence Growth Rate, and the iron in this study does influence growth rate. We're going to find that. So they measured clipping yield. Turf grass quality. Turf grass quality is measured on a scale of one to nine, with five being acceptable. So, for the, there was this came up a couple months ago. How do you measure quality or whatever? Turf, in this study, they do a better job of identifying it. Turf grass quality is a composite of several characteristics, including uniformity, density, texture, and color. So, this uniformity, density, texture, and color can all be measured independently, in, separately, individually. They can be measured. Uh, we can just look at density. We can just look at texture and color and uniform and so forth. And turf grass quality is a composite of all those combined. One to nine, five is minimally acceptable. <clears throat> mineral nutrient analysis. I'm not a real big fan of mineral nutrient analysis in tissue when you're using iron, but they did that and we'll look at that. To, to ascertain if iron uptake efficiency varied with sources and to determine if source containing supplemental phosphorus and potassium resulted in elevated tissue levels, leaf tissue was analyzed periodically. <clears throat> For some reason, my voice is starting to go already this morning. All right, let's look at the results. The growth rate. When rated 14 to 16 days after treatment during 1986. Oh, well, let me look at the products first. I'm sorry. Let me look at the products. So here's the products they used. 
The products they used were a product called Agriplex 4X, which was an iron orthophosphate citrate, and it's going to be abbreviated as FEPC. So iron PC is going to be orthophosphate citrate. Then they used a product called Extra Iron, which is iron citrate. They used True Green, which is an iron citrate. And then they used the Sequestrine 330, which is the DTPA. Okay, so it's 10%, you know, so these are all the percentages. So whenever you see grams per kilogram, they just got to move the decimal over one, and that's percentages. So the iron was 5% in the orthophosphate citrate, 4% in the citrate from extra green, 1.2% from the true green citrate, and then 10% from the, from the DTPA. Okay, so uh, let's get to the results. Um, okay. And during 1986, uh, the iron, the phosphate citrate application resulted in more growth than the citrate, the DTPA, and the non-treated turf table two. So let's look at table two. I'm not going to be able to zoom all the way in because the way this is formatted. Okay, so table two is the foliar growth weight of Kentucky growth weight, foliar growth dry weight basis of Kentucky bluegrass in response to applications of chelated iron. Okay, so they did uh, they collected clippings on throughout July, August, and September of 86, and then May, June, July, August, and October of 87. And the non-treated is here. I've highlighted in yellow at the bottom of these tables, or the bottom of these columns in each. And I've highlighted the ones that are different in green. This was an old article, so I couldn't really do what I wanted to do, and I had to do these funky little highlights. But anyway, make a long story short is the non-treated was, say, 1.9 grams per um, square meter in growth. And when it was treated with the phosphate, phosphate citrate it it almost doubled in growth to 3.6 and that might be attributed to the phosphorus in there i think they're going to show that it didn't really have any effect on phosphorus in this in this in the uh tissue but i wouldn't rule that out i know they kind of did but i'm not convinced that the phosphorus had no influence in this particular case because it happens every almost every time there's a difference the orthophosphate the citrate chelate containing phosphorus is the one that resulted in the greatest difference in growth but the reason i'm showing that is because I, I would put a little asterisk by that because it's not just iron chelate it contains phosphorus and potassium as well however there are other iron sources that can don't contain any phosphorus and potassium like this citrate number two which was the oh here it is which was the true green iron citrate and it did result in a different increase in growth from 1.9 to 3.2 not only significant statistically but biologically yeah, on july 31st when you keep going down then the next the next couple dates into september we see the phosphate citrate and the two forms of citrate resulting in an increase in growth again from 2.5 to 4 and then the orthophosphate citrate doubled it from 2.5 to 5.2 so clearly there's something going on here that resulted in an increase in growth from both iron citrates that contain the phosphorus and iron citrate that just contained the iron. Okay. And in, in the next month, they only saw the difference from the orthophosphate citrate. When in 1987, you see orthophosphate citrate again, almost doubling the, the growth rate compared to non-treated. And then in July and August, I'm sorry, in July, you see both the orthophosphate citrate and the other citrate, or I'm sorry, and DTPA resulting in an increase. So most of the time, it was the, the chelate, chelated iron source that contained phosphorus that resulted in increasing growth but there's one two three occasions out of what 10 or whatever 
that the growth rate of the Kentucky bluegrass was increased from iron chelates that were due to the iron or due, due to the iron chelate. They're going to make an argument later. It's probably not from the iron, but, um, but it was due to iron chelates that did not contain phosphorus. Okay. So it can happen is, is kind of the point here. I mean, I highlighted this whole paragraph because it's important. He kind of contextualizes a lot of this here. So increased growth in response to iron applications during 1986 differs from results from the deal in Engel. We already looked at that study and the use 1984 paper. We also looked at that study. So if you haven't um, saw those episodes, then you can go back and, and pull up those episodes. We went, I went over both those papers. Both of those authors found that iron application had no effect on Kentucky bluegrass growth. Their studies, however, evaluated only iron sulfate and iron DTPA applications, not ortho or phosphate citrate or citrate sources. They also, one of them used granular iron. So they should have mentioned that in here. One of them used foliar iron, but the other one used granular, which we wouldn't expect to see a response at all from granular sources in most cases. Additionally, the used paper evaluated iron applications combined with nitrogen and speculated that supplemental nitrogen fertility may have obscured any iron effect on growth rate. So I added that in there, but just because it's, you know, it's just driving that message home that this double dark greening that, you know, is marketed from both applying both nitrogen and iron just doesn't seem to exist in the literature. The nitrogen will obscure any effect of the iron. And there's so that at that, so at that, you know, you can infer from that, that there's no need to apply the iron if it's not iron deficient because the nitrogen is going to mask it. So applying iron with nitrogen does not result in double dark greening. If anything, it results in a wasted resource of iron. You should apply the iron when the when the nitrogen is limited. Then you'll see a response to the iron. That's what the use paper found, and the other two papers found that as well. The Dylan Engel paper, I think, found that, and it was what was it, the Minner paper? I can't remember. There's been I've shown three papers that that showed the same result. In our study, except for July twenty second, nineteen eighty seven, DTPA failed to significantly stimulate turf growth relative to non treated turf, thus confirming the findings. So they're confirming the findings of other things. So one, only one out of these 10 or 12 <clears throat> rating dates did D, DTPA influence growth, which is what was found from the other studies. Snyder and Schmidt in 74, which we have not gone over, and the, Schneider, and the Schmidt and Snyder paper in 84, working with field and growth chamber gro, uh, grown, grown creeping bent grass, respectively reported that DTPA and iron sulfate application rate influenced turf grass growth rate. So I haven't shown those papers. I might. I might go back and show those. I don't, I think one of them's not even actually a paper. I'll have to go back and look. Their work, however, indicated that DTPA application caused top growth to increase only during cool weather and actually depressed top growth when temperatures rose. Galinsky, 1988, evaluated iron sulfate, phosphate citrate, and DTPA applications to keeping bent grass and reported 10% decline in shoot growth from monthly applications of DTPA at points one pounds of iron per acre iron applications in our study never significantly decreased growth compared to the non-treated turf across the prevailing temperatures so when when somebody when you do when you're doing work and you find something that's very different from every anything else in the literature that's not a bad thing at all but what the authors are doing here is they're trying they're trying to defend their results they're trying to contextualize it and explain that our results are different from all the other literature uh, most of the literature says there won't be a change in growth rate. Ours, we didn't find that. We found it did increase the growth rate. But in the, they, if you're going to do that, if you're going to, you know, if your results are so different from everybody else's, it's fine. But you're going to have to explain it and justify it to, to get it through reviewers and through the editor. 
um, just to make sure that indeed this is what you found and indeed it is possible and this is what happened otherwise it you know we just want to make sure that the information is accurate and you didn't make some fatal flaw before reporting results that are vastly different from everybody else turf quality during 1986 dtpa was the only iron source that provided quality superior to non-treated turf during every rating period table three so table three is here table three and i have a lot of stuff highlighted in red that i need i'm going to go over but table three is the beauty contest the turf quality which i would argue is the most important for most people i mean turf grass is a subjective crop unless you're in saw production people are looking at it and going i like it or i don't like it you know, one homeowner goes one, you know you have homeowners right now that never call you for anything bad they just pay their bills and when you show up they're very grateful they say hey thanks a lot looks great and then there's other homeowners where the lawn probably looks the same as that lawn and they're calling you all the time wanting you come back and retreat stuff because they're not happy with it it's subjective so turf quality is a subjective rating which i find very valuable in a field in an industry that is dominated by subjectivity and in this study they found the turf grass qualities were increased on nearly every uh, rating date as a result of foliar applied iron chelates Okay, so I'm not going to go through all of these, but I just want to point out that this table three over here that I'm looking at, this table right here, the turf grass quality ratings in response to application of iron chelate sources shows the phosphor, the orthophosphate citrate, or is that, am I saying that right? Phosphate citrate? Let me make sure I'm saying this. Orthophosphate citrate. Uh, responded almost every rating date. These, the two citrate sources responded quite frequently as well. DTPA responded every every rating date in 1987 as well. It did four times in 1986. It's very common to see a difference from in turf quality from not treating the turf compared to treating the turf with foliar applied iron. I'm not going to go into any more depth on that because it's very, very common. However, so when evaluating 30 days after treatment or later during 1986, all iron sources performed comparably, each increasing quality significantly compared to non-treated turf during two of the three rating periods. Throughout the year, turf quality benefited from iron applications with no source clearly superior than the others. And that's what I wanted to highlight. I wish they would have put iron sulfate in here as a liquid application because I suspect they would see the same thing, which is what I saw when in the, in the study I'm going to go over in a couple weeks. So you're applying all these chelates. I'm going to apply citrate, or I'm going to apply DTPA, or I'm going to apply orthophosphate citrate, or I'm just going to apply iron sulfate. And they didn't apply. They didn't apply iron sulfate in this study, so it is what it is. But the point of this is they saw a response almost every time from foliar applied iron. Thank you, Mister So and So, who I've already talked about their video in the past. They saw a, a response every time from basically every time. Well, they did every time except for one week from foliar applied uh, iron. And there were no differences between them. So it's kind of like wetting agents. I'm talking about differences between wetting agents and agronomically is, is boring. Just pick a wetting agent and go with it. You know, it, it's probably going to be helpful to you. And, and it, whether you spend $250 a gallon or $40 a gallon, it's probably going to result in a similar response. And the same thing with iron. When, as long as you're applying a foliar soluble form of iron, DTPA or citrate, or in this case, orthophosphate citrate, you're probably going to see a response. And there's probably not going to be any difference between any of the other soluble chelate sources. 
and then I and I'll I would argue even soluble iron sulfate source probably not gonna be a difference so just pick the least expensive one that you like that blends well or mixes well with whatever your foliar program is and go with it okay iron DTPA in 1987 tur turf tr exhibited qualities superior to non-treated turf for every rating date in 1987 which is what I just said while turf quality was clearly improved by iron applications in 1987, all iron sources performed similarly. So two years, they all performed very similarly. Iron application rate, and I don't know why they included this rate, because they don't really show any data on the rate effect. Remember, they applied it at different rates, but they don't show a lot of that in here. Iron application rate did not significantly influence turf grass quality during either year of the study. Even for quality ratings taken as late as 42 days after treatment, iron higher iron rates did not provide residual quality for the low, uh, superior to the lowest rate. So they applied, I think it was a little bit less than one pound per acre, all the way up to around five pounds per acre. And what they said was, even 42 days after, the turf grass response to that foliar applied iron was the same from one pound or from five pounds in terms of the quality increase. Okay, so not only are there, is this study saving you money to some degree, hopefully providing a little bit of confidence that there's probably not a whole lot of difference in the response between foliar applied iron sources. Just apply one. There's probably not a whole lot of difference. So pick the least expensive one that blends well and mixes well and doesn't salt out and go with it. And there's probably not a whole lot of difference between the rate between one and five pounds. You know, maybe there is, and you know, your site specific situation might vary a little bit, but there's not going to be a whole massive amount of difference between applying one and two pounds and applying three or four pounds of iron per acre, according to this study. Okay. Throughout the study, sources differed primarily in regard to the degree of phytotoxicity produced rather than the duration of color. Remember, we mentioned that just the other day, where when you're picking an iron source, you're picking a rate. It shouldn't be chosen based upon the magnitude of the greening or the longevity of the response first. What first should be selected as a priority is its likelihood of phytotoxicity. And that's what they say here in this study as well. So now we're talking about two studies that said the same thing. Phytotoxicity was evident with rates of three to six kilograms per acre, so 2.8 to 5.5 pounds of iron per acre. So the, the two higher rates, so you know, say two and a half, let's just say two and a half to five pounds. It was evident from those two rates for both the citrate sources and at the highest rate for other sources throughout the study. So the two citrates, it, 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 they burned at say two and a half to five pounds, and the other chelate sources only burned at the high rate, the five pound. Discoloration of the, let's just call it five pounds. Discoloration at five pounds per acre ranged from yellowing of the from the orthophosphate citrate to brown from the one of the citrate sources to gray from the other citrate sources. Turf treated with DTPA was dark green to black and was the closest in appearance to a true dark green at the highest rate. <coughs> so they're they're identifying clearly verbalizing the the response that they saw there wasn't much difference between in the in the quality between one and five pounds but the burn early on was much greater from the two and a half to five pound rates of iron okay from both the citrate sources and the DP, dtpa sources turf treated with iron citrate sources appeared less dense so here's a, here's something i should highlight this in red Turf treated with iron citrate sources appeared less dense from late July from through September for both years. To determine if a decrease in plant density had occurred, two plugs 
10 centimeters in diameter were removed at random from each plot and the number of tillers per plug were counted. The tiller count was similar and the visual per- perception of thinning appeared to be an artifact of a more noticeably discolored understory. So what they're saying is it looked like it was less dense, but it really wasn't. The application of the iron gave it the appearance of a reduction in density because the lower part of the turf, the understory of the turf was darker colored. So it gave it the illusion of a reduction in density when in reality there was no reduction in density. In other words, their eye fooled them. Even in here, the, the, the investigators go, well, it looks less dense. Well, okay, I don't care what it looks like. We can measure density. Let's go measure it. And when they measured it, there was not a reduction. It just, it was a deception. It was a, it was a, they, not a deception. It was, they were fooled, basically. Their eye was, it was tricking them. The color of the, of the, the darkening of the grass tricked them into thinking that it was less dense, but it wasn't. <clears throat> Applications of iron chelate containing supplemental phosphorus and potassium had no effect on the phosphorus and potassium tissue content at any time during the study. They didn't present that those data. Oh, I, I said earlier that they were going to make an argument that it's probably something other than iron. I'm sorry. That's for this. That's for a different. That's from this, uh, the paper. Two papers from now. I apologize for that. I just realized I misstated that. I said earlier that they're going to make an argument that it's probably not from the iron. It's probably from something else. That's not true in this paper. <clears throat> I was I was conflating this paper with a paper I'm going to talk about in a couple couple weeks. <clears throat> in fact, I might talk about tomorrow, depending on how I feel. In conclusion, application of the of the orthophosphate citrate source resulted in significantly more foliar growth than realized for non-treated turf on seven of the 11 sampling dates, while the citrate sources in the DTPA did not influence growth is what they said. So when he said it didn't influence growth, it did influence growth, but it only did it on one date from DTPA. And the citrate sources, it did not influence the growth, which was uh, foliar growth. So it influenced the growth. I don't know why they're saying that to be frank, because they, they didn't, it influenced it on two dates. The citrate influenced it on two dates out of however many, and the DTPA only influenced it on one date out of 11. So, you know, that's fine, but you know, two out of the 11. So, you know, nine out of the 11, it didn't influence it on, on the, on the iron sources. And then 10 out of the 11, it didn't influence for DTPA, but for the orthophosphate citrate influenced it quite regularly. So that, I'm, I'm fine with that. Application of iron resulted in turf grass quality superior to non-treated turf throughout the study. However, no source consistently provided quality superior to other iron sources. So when you see these, these videos on YouTube, I'm going to apply whatever, gluconate, iron glucoheptanate, and I'm going to apply iron citrate, and we're going to do a test, and iron citrate compared to iron EDDHA and all these other things. You don't have to watch those videos. I know it's quick and, you know, for our world today, we don't like to spend time in the libraries nowadays, it seems like. We like to spend time on YouTube. But all those exist in a non-biased form in the literature. And here it is. Well, here's one perfect example. Well, they just say it right here. There's There was no difference between the iron sources. They all worked in terms of turf quality. Okay. And you don't have to be convinced by horrible YouTube videos that say, oh, I'm sprayed this in half half my lawn and I, I use iron on and that half my lawn and there's a difference or there's no difference or whatever that that stuff is dangerous to to 
to watch because you can start to be convinced, oh, that's true. It's on YouTube. <clears throat> this stuff is the, is the best source of truth in the, in the literature. Whether or not it ends up being true is another factor. A lot of things in literature can eventually be found to not be true, but this is our best option at the moment is the scientific literature. And it's, it's all in there. You just got to know where to go find it. Increasing iron rate did not result in a corresponding increase in quality, perhaps due to increased phytotoxicity at the higher rates. Although the citrate sources produced noticeable phytotoxicity at the five pound per acre rate, repeated applications did not reduce turf grass density. All iron sources typically resulted in elevated leaf tissue levels of iron. I didn't go into, I'll maybe go with that just briefly before I go. However, elevated iron content was not correlated with increased growth. Supplemental P and K in the iron sources did not result in increased tissue concentration. Turf grass quality and growth were unaffected by supplemental P and K. So he's just, they're just saying that the P and K and that iron chelate didn't affect anything, which, you know, who knows if they balanced out the phosphorus, I would be more confident with that. This iron concentration table, well, they're talking about they, this. I didn't go over. Let me just go over this briefly. The non-treated is down here at the bottom on uh, table four and it, and it shows the increase in iron concentration in Kentucky bluegrass leaf tissue compared to the other uh, chelate sources and the non-treated source, non-treated plots. And every every collection time, there was a difference from at least one of the iron chelates in terms of their increase, their ability to increase iron in the leaf tissue. And in some of the rating dates, in fact, one, two, three of the rating dates, all of them increased the iron in, in the leaf tissue. I, I I don't know exactly how they collected them. And I mean, they explain how they collected them, but I don't know exactly how they were prepared and cleaned because what happens when you apply foliar iron? Let me just go back to me here. When, what happens when you apply foliar iron is you will see a greening pretty quickly. And if you do some further investigation, you'll see that a lot of that color change occurred on the leaf surface and might not necessarily have resulted as from the absorption of iron into the plant itself, turning, you know, resulting in more chlorophyll and so forth. So I'm always very skeptical when I see iron in leaf tissue collected from a study that applied foliar iron, because I don't know if that foliar iron was washed off the leaf tissue. I don't even know if you could wash it off because it, if it did change the color, it changed the color by oxidizing on the leaf surface and staining that. So if you if you relate that to concrete, you've stained the concrete. Well, you've also potentially stained the leaf surface. You're not just going to wash that iron off the concrete. It's not going to just wash off. So cleaning the leaf tissue in the same fashion that we would clean leaf tissue for nutrient analysis, it might not wash off that stained iron from the leaf. And if it doesn't, then when you get it digested, when the, when the tissue actually gets analyzed, it'll analyze what's on the leaf tissue as well as what got absorbed into the leaf tissue. And there is a way to separate that out. There's, there's, there are instruments that can separate that to some degree, but they didn't, that's typically never done. So I'm not saying these data are inaccurate or invalid. I'm just saying I'm skeptical. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in iron leaf tissue analysis when it came from a study that applied it to the leaf surface as a, as a liquid. Okay. So I would be cautious when you're, if you ever go down those roads. Okay. I'm gonna go back to the chat real quick and see if there's any other questions I can answer before I go. Um, 
Randy from Bulgaria says, will I consider inviting a pro guest to discuss papers in parallel with scientific and practical standpoint? That would be interesting. I mean, yeah, sure. I don't really know what you mean by pro guest. You mean just like a practitioner guest, like someone applying it or something? Randy, uh, <clears throat> you might want to explain that a little bit more to me, but uh, yeah, I mean, if somebody wants to come on and participate through just a practical conversation and give me their input, you know, what their thoughts are as I go through it, or they can go through it too. I mean, I would, I'd be open to that. Sure. So modern scholar asks, so would that mean that nitrogen and iron are antagonists in the plant? If iron is more effective on nitrogen limited situations, or does nitrogen simply cause a growth effect that overshadows the iron growth effect? So the answer is the last, your last question. So let me be clear on this though, before I forget, iron will not cure nitrogen deficiencies and nitrogen will not cure iron deficiencies. The paper from, I think it was yesterday where we showed a, a prolonged response to the gr application of granular iron sulfate that was, that occurred in severely iron deficient turf grass to the point where even the application of nitrogen did not result in a growth response. In other words, that turf grass was so severely deficient in iron that it was reducing the growth and the color of the turf. Applying nitrogen did not correct that. And that was from yesterday's paper. It was a 2.0 on the quality scale or the color scale. And they applied nitrogen and it stayed at 2.0. Didn't change. But under the same setting, they applied iron and the quality went up immediately. So that turf grass was severely deficient in iron and it was only alleviated by the application of iron, not by the application of nitrogen, but that is an extremely unique situation. Under most settings, the value or the color response you're going to get from iron is going to be magnified or the greatest under limited amount of nitrogen because of your last question. And that is because the growth from nitrogen overshadows or masks the effect of the iron or the greening of response of the iron. Okay. It's not that nitrogen and iron are antagonists in the plant. <clears throat> okay. Nitrogen is going to increase growth as long as it's the limiting nutrient. If it's not the limiting nutrient, which was the paper yesterday, adding more isn't going to increase growth, which is what happened yesterday. There was no increase in color yesterday from the application of nitrogen. It was only from the application of iron. It's just, like I said, I mean, I've said it before, if, if your grass is already perfect, it's a, you know, it's a nine on the color scale, it's a nine on the quality scale, it's perfect. Adding more of anything is, isn't going to make it go up because you can't go up from maximum. So in the case of nitrogen, you've increased the growth rate and you've increased the quality to such a degree that the chances of a, seeing any additional fur or any further increase are very, very limited because you've pushed up the quality and the growth so high that the, the room for improvement is quite low. And so the, the chances of seeing a response from applying anything, in this case iron, are also quite low in, in the presence of a very good quality turf grass and with lots of nitrogen. <clears throat> Looney says, glad to see some phytotoxicity info. Would like to learn more on how to control dicots by iron toxicity while limiting damage to turf monocots. 
<clears throat> somehow they respond differently to iron. There are certain pests that are controlled by iron. There was something I was reading the other day. I can't remember now what it, what it, what it is or what it was. Um, I can't remember now what it was, but there are, there are unique things that can happen from the application of iron, particularly with pests, but whether or not it, you know, how to control dicots and, you know, not kill monocots from iron. That's a plant physiologist question. And I'm not a plant physiologist. So I will pass that on to someone who's brighter than I am, which isn't hard to do. <laughs> All right, guys. So tomorrow night, I'm going to try to have a chat open to, I'm going to be discussing con, uh, comments and emails and so forth going through some, this will be my last show before Christmas. So I want to go through comments and some emails and um, give back to you guys and kind of show, you know, what I've been getting from you all. I've been very positive and I'm going to try my best to have a, a phone number open, but don't, please don't <laughs> hold me to that. I'm going to try. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And we'll still go over an article tomorrow night. It'll be fun. Okay, guys. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a great day. See you tomorrow night. Bye.